So I want to take some time today in the sermon to talk to us about our, um, our uh, Be Rich campaign. We, every year we have a Be Rich campaign where we try to do something internally uh, this time of year to help others. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. We announced it briefly last week. I'm going to talk about it in the sermon. I'm going to, we're actually going to look at some words that Paul the Apostle wrote to Timothy, uh, his young protege, about this topic. And we're going to, from them, deduct how we can do good for others. And we're going to explain our Be Rich campaign and how you can be a part of that with us as we do each year. However, before we do, before we get into um, that, I want to tell you another Bible story first. And so we're going to look at that first. Um, this story is because of what we talked about the last two weeks. If you were with us two weeks ago, we talked about the simple gospel, that the gospel is simple. It's the good news that Jesus died for our sins and was buried and rose again, and that we come to faith in Christ by simply understanding. We, we said four things. Everyone's a sinner. There's a price on sin. Jesus paid the price. Now, how will you respond? And in doing so, we laid a simple idea out in that sermon that, that um, in those four steps that really to, to respond in faith to Christ is to come to two important understandings. First one being the understanding that, um, you know, the first one being the understanding that I'm, a, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And as long as we think we're good enough on our own to earn it or to inherit it on our own, we will never need a Savior and it, we will not receive by faith the gospel. But the other side of it is not just knowing who we are as sinners in need of a Savior, but also understanding who God is, that Jesus was the Son of God and He is the Savior. And knowing who He is and what He's done for us opens the door for a pathway for our faith. So recognizing Jesus for who He was and recognizing ourselves for who we are as flawed, a sinful, imperfect people who need a Savior which is who Jesus was. Those two ideas are the process that brings us to faith, not in ourselves, but in Jesus as our hope for eternal life. And so we talked about faith two weeks ago. We talked about following Jesus last week, that our faith ought to lead us to follow. If it doesn't do that, then what kind of faith is it anyhow? Now, today I want to share a story before we get into our Be Rich uh, drive this year that um, will kind of piggyback off that and lead us to what Paul said to Timothy in a little while. But here's the story of, about Jesus first. It's found in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 17. Mark 10 verse 17, it says, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher. Now, we're gonna, I want you to notice that phrase, good teacher. We're going to come back and address that That a little bit more in just a moment here. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So don't miss the setup here. This man, we find out from reading the other gospels that this man is actually a very wealthy young man. He's a rich, young, religious man. And he seeks out Jesus and he runs up as Jesus heads to the city and he stops him and he kneels down out of respect and he says, good teacher, that's what he calls him, good teacher, what must I do what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, just from this one statement here, we already see part of the problem that we've talked about the last two weeks. First of all, he's, he's looking at Jesus as being a good teacher. Jesus was. I mean, Jesus was considered a good teacher by many people because he spoke as someone with authority. It was amazing. The crowds loved to hear him. He was considered a healer a rabbi to many people. He had followers, disciples that followed him. So he was considered a lot of things. But he was more than that. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. And, and, and Jesus was telling that to, to people, and people struggled to believe that. And here's a young man who didn't see him as Savior, saw him as a good teacher. And he says, good teacher, what must I do? What's the thing I can do to inherit? What's the thing I can do to earn eternal life? So that's another problem. It, it, he said two weeks ago, the, the pathway to faith is simply understanding that who we are, we're not perfect. We can't earn it ourselves. And who Jesus is, he's the Son of God. He's our Savior. He's our, passage, our, our pathway to salvation. And he's getting both of these wrong. He looks at Jesus as a good teacher and himself as someone that can do something to inherit or to earn eternal life. What must I do to earn eternal life? So Jesus is going to address him. So he begins in verse 18. Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? He doesn't even answer his question yet. The question was, what can I do to earn his salvation? Jesus said, let me start with what you called me. You called me good teacher. Okay, why do you call me good? Jesus asked. 
only God is truly good. So he's, he's saying, before we get to your question, let's talk about me. You called me good teacher, why? Only God is truly good. In other words, if I'm not, are you calling me God? Are you recognizing me as God? And if not, then I'm not good because only God is truly good. And this brings up a very big point that some of us need to understand. We live in a world of a lot of religion and a lot of people kind of want to merge all the religions in the world as if we're all the same because, you know, there's lots of good prophets and teachers and, and spokesmen through the years who've passed on good advice for us to live by and Jesus was one of them. And we can kind of have this, this cozy, equal relationship with all religion as being Jesus is good and he was a good teacher. You know, a lot of deists back in the founding of our country believed in Jesus' words to live by, but not, he wasn't God. He was just a good teacher or a prophet or a, a wise man to follow or emulate. But to be honest with you, that's an intellectually dishonest position to take. Jesus didn't claim that position. In fact, we get mad at the atheists or the scorners out there who get online or in person and they make fun of Jesus or put him down or demean him or call him bad. But to be honest with you, those, those people are being more honest than the ones who pretend him to just be a, one of many good prophets and teachers. Because that's what doesn't work. At least the, the scorners are being more honest. Because Jesus was saying, look, which is it? Because here's the thing. If Jesus wasn't God, he wasn't good. That's what he said here. In fact, he was beyond that, he was very bad. There's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus because Jesus claimed to be God. He claims, I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. I was in the beginning with God at the creation when we put this whole thing together. I've virgin born, lived a sinless life. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to ascend back. It's me. I'm him. So if he wasn't that, he was something very bad. There's only a couple lanes you could be in when it comes to Jesus. Either he was who he said he was, he was God, or, well, there's two other possibilities. He was delusional. He was a crazy man running around. And who, who should follow? You shouldn't follow him. If he was a crazy, delusional person, no one should follow him. He should be committed. He should be ignored in history as a delusional nut job who thought he was something he wasn't. And whatever that, you know, just okay. He was either delusional or he was worse. He, he, wasn't, he was deceitful and evil, claiming to be someone he was not to get followers for himself and people, people away from the true God. That's evil. That's deceitful. You shouldn't follow a deceitful and evil person. Or he is God like he said he was. There's really only lanes you could come into. Jesus didn't play this middle ground, just think I'm okay. I'm another good teacher, another good voice in the world. He said, who am I? He's either, I gotta make my alliteration work on my D's. He was either delusional or deceitful or he was darn right. I don't know, that's the best I could do there, I don't know. He was, he was, he was one of those three. He was, he was who he said he was or he wasn't. And, and, and so Jesus calls him out. He says, hey, you're coming to me asking what you can do to earn eternal life. Here's the first question, who am I? You're saying I'm good, only God's truly good. So, so who am I? But the guy wasn't asking that question, was he? So Jesus moves on past this and they address the guy's real question. Jesus says, but to answer your question, he said, you know the commandments. What, what you must do for you to earn eternal life? Keep the commandments. And he starts to list them. You must not commit murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Jesus starts throwing out some, just some of the Ten Commandments. Interestingly, the, the front half is about recognizing God as who we worship, but he already addressed that in the first part of his talk. And now he's talking about the practical how we treat others' commandments. He's like, look, keep the commandments. Because, and he's like, is Jesus teaching? Like, I thought we talked about the gospel is by faith, not by works. He's Jesus teaching works salvation? No, he's telling a young man who wants to believe that he can do something to earn eternal life because he doesn't need, he doesn't need a savior. He needs a good teacher to tell him how he can earn it. Well, here's how you earn it. You're perfect. He begins the list for this young man, the commandments. And the young man interrupts him. He actually interrupts him in verse 20 and says, oh, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. You ever met someone like that? You're either that good or you're, just, you're, just, you're, you're that forgetful. Oh, Yeah. I've always, I've, I rock that boat, man. I've done all of it really well all my life. 
And some people have. They're just that good. They know it too, you know. Others are like, I think you're forgetting. You have a selective memory. I've obeyed all these commands since I was young, he said. What happens, what Jesus says next is interesting. Verse 21 starts, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I want to pause there before we move on. Because when we read a story like this, it's easy for us to sit there and say, oh, look at this old crazy man here, this, this uh, foolish young man here. Oh boy, Jesus is going to uh, you know, straighten him out. We're like sitting back with our coffee in 21st century American Christianity, drinking our coffee, or in my case, my Coke Zero. We're like, uh-huh, straighten him out, Jesus. This guy's wrong, you know. And that's not the heart of Jesus. Jesus is looking at this guy and he's going to put him in his place like a real zinger. Jesus is looking at this guy with genuine love. He looked past his, his confusion about who Jesus was and his confusion about how good he could be. And Jesus felt love for him. He saw a young man who, yeah, was mixed up about a couple things, but a young man who believed there was eternal life. A lot of folks in those days didn't believe there was eternal life. They believed that when it was in their Jewish religion, they, there was room for some of them to think that when life was over, it was over and God's blessings came in this life only. He believed in eternal life. He believed that Jesus could point him in the right direction. He came searching. He was a rich young man. He's, in other words, he was not just a, you know, a, he was a man of industry. He was a hard worker. He was not just a, a, a person who was squandering his life away. He was, he was a, by successful by the world standards. He was a good person. He kept the commandments. He lived a decent moral life. And, and, and though he had some confusion about this whole thing, Jesus looked at him and saw a young man and felt love for him. And I think that's so important because if, it's not, if we're not careful, we can get a lot of arrogance sneak into our Christianity. We can run around and we can start thinking that somehow, you know, we, we can look at people and, and think, oh, that person annoys me. That person has the wrong view. We're very harsh sometimes with people that we think they have the wrong view of life or faith or politics or whatever, or they're behaving wrong. But, but Jesus was able to look and see, see something that he loved in this young man. I wish we all would do that, by the way. I wish when we saw people before we just got annoyed by them for whatever annoys us, we would look and see the good that's there and see the thing that, that can soften our hearts from being bitter and, and find a tender spot for where they're off and find love for them like, like God has for us. By the way, God looks at you and he loves you. If, you. if you come to church today and you feel unlovable or you feel whatever along the way, God loves you. He, he loves you like crazy. He has genuine love for you even if you think no one else can. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, Jesus told him. So Jesus is going to say, you're still missing something. Because the guy's trying to be good enough to earn, to do what he can do to be perfect, to earn eternal life. Jesus says, okay, let's play your game. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. He said, go and sell all your possessions, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Now again, you're like, Arlen, let me pause you once again. I asked you earlier, is Jesus teaching work salvation? Because it sounds like he was, and now he sounds like he's raised the bar real high. Like, do I have to sell all my possessions and live under a bridge to, to have eternal life? Is this what I have to do? And that's not what Jesus was saying. Again, we've already made this clear. By the way, you'll never see another spot in the Bible where Jesus gives this exact talk to anybody. He tells them disciples to leave their, their nets and, and follow him as, as disciples would do, but sell everything they have and follow him. There was people all over Jesus' life who were well off. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were very wealthy. Uh, they took care of They actually sustained a lot of Jesus' ministry. There's no sense, there's no, there's no word of him saying this to other people. He's talking specifically to a young man who was holding on to things they didn't want to let go of, including the idea that somehow he just like he did in life with, with himself, took care of himself, met his own needs, provided well for himself, he could also provide his own eternal life. And Jesus said, okay, let's talk about perfection. Here's one more thing. Sell it all, give it all away to the poor, and follow me. That's what we saw last week, following Jesus. The, the, what's the call? To give up our own way, take up our cross, and follow him. That's what he's saying. Give up your own way. In your case, your love for your stuff. Give up your own way. Take up your cross. Follow me. 
And by the way, he says, if you'll do that, you'll have treasure in heaven. I want to come back to that later. He says, if you'll do that, if you'll give, if you'll tell your possessions, give your money to the poor, you'll have something better anyhow. You'll have treasure in heaven. That's a big idea. He's like, look beyond this life into treasure later. Let's come back to that and follow me. Well, to be honest, some of us might look at that and say, well, that's a lot to ask, but if it would get me, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take that deal. Maybe. Would we? Well, we'd probably failed the test a long time ago with the Ten Commandments. But verse 22 says, At this, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. He, he saw Jesus, and he realized, oh, that's what it takes. And he walked away sad. Interesting. He didn't stay and say, okay, I'll do that. He didn't stay and say, okay, I won't do that. So apparently I can't earn eternal life. So what was my other option? He didn't say, Jesus, tell me, what, what does, hope does a, a flawed person like me have? He just walked away. If he couldn't do it on his own, if, if he was given a, a command he wasn't willing to take, he simply walked away because it was either on him or there was no hope. Sad story. Jesus is making a point. In fact, he actually says in verse 23, Jesus uh, looked around and talked, told, looked at his disciples and he said to them how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, again, that's a shocking statement. When you read that statement right now, if you're like me and you think about it, that's kind of a shocking, uncomfortable statement. And if that statement makes you uncomfortable, you're not alone because it says in verse 24 that this amazed the disciples. They're like, what did he just say? And Jesus doubles down. He says, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. Oh man, this is not getting hopeful for me. It's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. Well, 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 well I'm in trouble. That guy was a pretty good guy and every, every, by every metric. And it was impossible for them and it's hard for anyone to enter the kingdom of God. What hope do I have? And before Jesus answers that, he drills down deeper. He says in verse 25, he says, in fact, it's easier for the cam a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And of course, some people have de debated whether Jesus was referring to it's easier for a, a camel to go through the literal eye of a small needle or if he was referring to a, a certain a gate in the entrance of Jerusalem that was very small, too small for a person to ride in on a camel, they had to crouch low to get in. And it's about, basically it's impossible. He was, Jesus was, either way, Jesus was saying, it's just pretty much undoable. And, and so the disciples are alarmed, as, as we would be or should be too. In verse 26, they said, well, then, then who in the world can be saved? If that's the case, who, who in the world can be saved? And that's the question to ask. And we discussed this two weeks ago because that, that journey is to realize we can't be on our own. That's why we, we have a Savior. Who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus answers it so beautifully. Verse 27, Jesus looked at them intently and he said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. In other words, humanly speaking, it's impossible. And it is. It's humanly impossible to enter the kingdom of God. I, out of my own strength and my own goodness, can't do it. Neither can you. Because we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We can go on and on. There, the, humanly speaking, it is impossible to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus was there to drive a message, not of hope in ourselves, but of hope in Christ. And so he says, it's not impossible with God. Everything is impossible with him. That's the Calvary. That's the story. That's the cross. That's where our faith belongs. That's what he was calling them to. But boy, what an interesting story of faith and fellowship, as we've talked about the last two weeks in the story of this rich young man. Because following Jesus is every part of our life, including, well, not just our, it's every part of our life. Following Jesus isn't something we compartmentalize. It's I, I have compartmentalized. I follow Jesus on Sunday mornings at 1045. I follow Jesus before I eat my food when I pray or whatever other religious trappings I have in my life. Okay? Following Jesus is everything, including our finances, including our relationships, including our treatment, everything. And so it's interesting that Jesus tells the story addressing a man who is rich in this world. Because what we find after the story is that Jesus would die on the cross like he said he would. He would rise again like he said he would. He would return to glory to prepare a place for us. He would send his disciples to spread the good news. 
And early in the early church history, a young man named the Apostle, not named the Apostle Paul. That's what his mom named him, the Apostle Paul. Oh, no. His name was Paul. Saul, actually, changed to Paul. Paul became an apostle, an evangelist, a missionary, who began to spread the good news of Jesus wherever he went. He had some people that he poured into, including a young protege named Timothy. Paul would go from city to city and plant the good news and, and have, that churches get started. One of those places that Paul went to was the city of Ephesus. Paul would stay at those places for a while, then he would leave. Later on, he would write letters back to where he was, and, and he wrote a letter to Ephesus. We call it the book of Ephesians. He also left Timothy in charge of the church at Ephesus, and he wrote a letter to Timothy, or two letters to Timothy, at least two, maybe three for what we can tell. Two are in our scriptures. And he said, here's how you lead this church of believers in Ephesus. And Paul actually addresses to Timothy how to help the people who are there, the people who are well off, follow Jesus. Here's what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. I'm going to pause right here because most of us think that's not me. That's not me. Like we read the story of the rich young guy in the last part, that Jesus, that Jesus story just now. We're like, yeah, those rich guys, you know. And we see verses like this, I'm like, teach those who are rich in this world. That's those other people. Because to us, rich people is somebody else. Rich to most people is richer than me. There's always someone richer than us. A lot of people despise those one percenters because, and, and, and oftentimes for very good reasons to be frustrated. But we get mad at them, we demonize them, we make them the boogeymen. And again, I'm not, I'm not defending, you know, the richest of the rich at all. My point is that we do that to people richer than us, but we don't see in ourselves that we're one percenters. Did you know that? In a global population of 8 billion people and counting and growing, we're all pretty much one percenters here. Some of us have had the privilege to travel and be in underdeveloped nations. We've been a, had a chance to travel a couple times to underdeveloped nations and be in places where there's poverty that I can't even fathom. Some of you have. Ron, you and I talked about it the other week. You would travel a bit to underdeveloped nations. You, we've seen parts of the world where just the poverty is shocking to me, just jarring. And we don't see it. We don't think about ourselves as rich because we don't see those people, unless it's a TV commercial once in a while or unless it's something distant. We don't see ourselves there. So we don't think we're rich. What we see is amongst other rich people in a rich nation, and we're one percenters globally, most of us, or one, one or two percenters globally. We see ourselves, not compared to the, the dirt poor people of the world, but compared to the other rich people around us, we see ourselves as not being that well off because our neighbor has more, jerks. Our boss has more, jerk. Our, uh, somebody else has more. We either want it or whatever, and so when we compare ourselves to the richest of the rich, we're not rich. But when we look at the global population, we're all rich. And so he's not talking to somebody else. This is instructions for you and me. We, we just look at the wrong, we compare ourselves to the wrong things. And Paul says, look, teach those who are rich in this world. That's us, that's me. And I'm not very rich by a lot of people I know standards. But globally I am. Teach those of us, me, you, who are rich in this world to do what? He says not to be proud. It's so easy to be proud when we're rich. We, we reject things that other people wish they had. We're rich enough in America uh, to, to, to reject things, whether it's, you know, we, you know identity and, you know, take, you know, banking and identity for granted in parts of the world that they would love to have that. And we, we despise that and we want to be anonymous. And we, we, we push away at medical options and that most of the world's lined up to wish they had access to. And we, we, have, we run around conspiratorially minded because we're rich enough to be that crazy. We're rich enough to be nutty. We, we are so proud. It's so easy not to think about how good and how well we have it because we've always had it this good. We, um, it's pride. It sneaks in. Because how do you need God so much when you have it all? You know what's interesting is this why the gospel is spreading globally, but the gospel, Christianity is on the decline in countries like ours. Seriously, like you look and say, well, the Christianity is on the decline in America. Don't be fooled. Christianity is growing in lots of parts of the world right now. Like Christianity is spreading like wildfire. It has been for 2,000 years. Christianity is alive and well. The reason it's on the decline in America and in wealthy nations 
is because it's wealthy nations. Because the richer we are, the less we feel the need for God. The richer we are, the less we need. Because, you know, it depends upon God to get by today. And you have to look for something better someday. It's pretty good right now. We wouldn't think in those terms. We wouldn't say that out loud. But our riches make us feel self-dependent and allow us to have a lot of different angles. And so, yes, you, you get to the richest countries like ours and you can see faith decline. But it's growing in other parts of the world because the problem is not the gospel. The problem is us. We're so rich. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. That's the problem. It's easy. That's what the rich young guy was doing earlier. We trust in our money. We wouldn't say that we do, but again, I have what I have, and I, it's going to meet my needs. And I'm okay. But, but, but Paul says, don't teach them not to trust in their money. Get, get this, which is so unreliable. And that's the part we, we, we overlook when, during times of plenty. It's so unreliable. It can change so fast. And I don't just mean the people richer than you. I mean even what we have. It can change so fast. In the New York Minute, everything can change, as the song says, right? So fast. A job can be gone so fast. Our, the, our global position as a country can change. Things can collapse fast. If nothing else, my health can collapse fast. To trust in the things that we take for granted is crazy. Paul says, teach it to the wealthy. That's a thing that that's not It's easy to get proud and think, I, I'm okay. Don't. Don't put your trust there. It's so unreliable. Instead, he says this, their trust, their trust should be in God. That's what, that's what, that's what we forget when we're self-sufficient. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. It's easy to say, well, that's not true. What all the poor people who don't even have as many toys as I have? And I want more. I don't have all that I need for my enjoyment. But we do. We just trust in the wrong things. It's why I mentioned earlier going to underdeveloped nations. What always amazed me when I went to places, I saw people who lived in, you know, basic mud huts or just weird buildings, poorly built, dirt floors, no roof or partial roof, or in some cases squatting on the sides of Government railroad tracks and squalor and, and, and terrible conditions. And I mean, just I can't, the, 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 I, I've got to stop because I could just start going on and on about just the things that just left me shocked to see in some of our travels. What amazes me when I've traveled is this some of those people would come out of these situations of poverty and squalor and get together to worship God with so much joy and so much peace. And I'm like, what's wrong with us? We have so much more. We don't have that kind of peace. We don't have that kind of joy because we're trusting in the wrong things. But Paul says, trust in God who gives you all that you need for your joy. You, can, you, can have, you don't need to put your faith in the wrong things. God can give you a joy and peace that nothing else can give you. Put your trust in him. And then Paul says this, verse 18. He says, tell them, who's them? The rich in this world, you and me, globally, we are. Tell those of us who are rich in this world, tell them to use their money to do some good, to do good. Use their money to do good. Don't just use it for ourselves. Use it to do good in this world. He expounds further. He says, tell them that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Those words, be rich, is the verse in which we get our idea for our Be Rich campaign each year. They should be rich. See, well, they are rich. Well, they have riches, but he says, no, they have money, but they should be rich. There's a difference there. They should be rich in good works. Because some people might have a lot of money, but they don't act like they're rich because of the way they handle it. But if we're rich, if we're grateful, if we realize what God's done for us and we appreciate, we know it, we recognize it, as rich people, we can, we can give back. They should be rich in good works. Now, I love this. Generous. Generous to those in need. Well, that's their problem. They're in need. They shouldn't, be, they shouldn't have been born peasants then, you know. I don't know. I mean, I'm okay. Uh, they should be rich in, in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And that's a big idea at the end there. Because here's what happens to all of us, and I'm just going to kind of needle us here a little bit. What happens to many of us is that we would say, well, if I saw a need, I would meet it. But then when a need comes our way, sometimes we see a need around us, we either consciously or subconsciously push away by saying, oh man, I feel bad for that person. I just can't do anything to help them right now because I'm in a tight spot myself. 
I feel bad. I'd love to help them. I just don't have the means right now to help them. And the reason why is because we're not ready. Here's what all of us ought to do as, as wealthy, first, you know, developed nation uh, um, American people is to, no matter how little or much we have compared to each other, we should always budget aside some, some means to help someone in need. Not, bef- not when they come, because it might be too late then. Like, I wish I could help, but I can't. But to say, I don't know when a need will arise, so I'm already setting aside some means that when something comes my way, I'm able because I've been, I'm like, oh, there's a need. Guess what? I've been preparing for this day. I am now ready to share with others. I'm generous to those in need because before I knew someone in need, I was getting ready. I was preparing. All of us ought to take that to heart. It ought to be a regular part of our lifestyle to take part of what God has given us and set it aside regularly to be ready to help people in need when they come so that we're ready to be generous. And if we don't, then we'll never be generous because it'll sneak up on us. Paul says this, and next he says, by doing this, they, those who are rich in this world, when they do this, when they're, when they're rich in good works, when they're generous to others and ready to share with others, when they do this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. Let me pause there. He says they're storing up their treasure. That's what Jesus said earlier to the rich young man. He said, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Remember that? He says, when, when, when the rich of this world give to others, we're storing up our treasure. And by the way, that's a good place to invest. Now, I love investing. If you remember a couple months ago, we did a whole series about how to get ahead and how to live by financial principles. And I love to teach that. It's a passion point for me. I think everyone should do that and behave wisely. We're too rich in America to, to live the way we do with materialistic, consuming mindsets, and we're always barely getting by. We should change our future. And I believe that, and I taught that, and I always will. But as much as I believe in investments, let me say this to you. There's a better investment than the stock market or the S&P or cryptocurrency or real estate or, or anything. And that is eternity. Because down here in this world, I can lay up my treasure down here, but here's what happens down here. I lay up treasure, and one day it could be gone. It's unreliable just that fast. Or I hold on to it my whole life, and then what? I die, and it can't, it can't save me from dying. It can't buy me out of mortality. And I get to leave it behind to some other crazy people, probably family, to waste and squander. I mean, seriously, for what? What does it do? In the end, I can't even enjoy it as much as I used to because I can't enjoy anything as much as I used to. It's a bad deal to live for the treasures of this life. And, 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 he's, and, and what Paul was saying is, look, in, in all your investments, do the smart one. Store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal. Like store up your treasure where it's incorruptible, where it's eternal, where you're eternal. Lay up treasure in heaven. Hey, you want to be a good investor? Invest beyond this short life. Live with eternity in mind. If you're rich in this world, take care of those who are not rich in this world. And instead, think about what's yet, what's yet to come. Do that as a good foundation for the future. And then he adds this, so that they may experience true life. I love that statement. That's not referring to someday. It's referring to experiencing true life today. In other words, we don't begin to experience true life until we figure this out. And you know this is true. We saw this last week that Jesus said that when we hold on to our life, we lose it. But when we let go, we, we find it. And what's it, what's it profit a person to gain the whole world but to lose their own soul? So many people today, we have stuff. But you know what we found? That the more we have, the more we got to keep track of. The more we have, the more we got to keep, we got we to worry about it. We got to save it late and say, is it, is it okay? Is it protected? Is it safe? Who's going to get to it? I mean, it's just, the more we have, the more pressure there is. Put our hands around it. We throw a few elbows, you know, hey, get away, you know. It's my stuff. And in the multi, we're losing something in our soul. But when we let go of our life, we, we find it. When we follow Jesus, when we say, let me give, let me be generous. Say, so, well, what do I have to lose? I've laid up treasure in heaven. I'm okay. I'm free from that. I've surrendered. I, I found a, there's a peace I've come to know that I can't explain. The future. My hope is in Jesus. And I've, that's when you experience those things that no one could put a price tag on, that joy and that peace that doesn't come 
from holding on now, but by generously giving of what we have and storing up treasure in heaven, we come to experience true life. And some of you have been there. Some of you have been there to experience that true life. And maybe some of you, some of us have, have once been there, but we got, went back into being focused on this life. And, and we remember how the joy and peace we used to know. And then for some of us, we've never let go, and you don't know what you're missing. By the way, Jesus modeled this, didn't he? The rich, young, the rich young man in our story, when Jesus said to him, just do this and come follow me. You know when Jesus said, come follow me, do you know what he meant? He meant, come do what I've already done. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus did exactly all of this. He left his privilege behind in heaven. He was the king of kings. He, was the, he had it all. He left it all behind to come into our messy world to save us poor sinners, to serve us, to sacrifice for us, and to give his life. And yes, he died, and yes, he rose again, and yes, now he's highly exalted, and there's a name, has a name above all names, and every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, and he's highly exalted now. But he came and left it all behind to come into this world to serve and sacrifice and give his life. And he says to the guy in our story and to you and me, follow me. In other words, do what I've done. Lay aside your privilege. Lay aside your spots. Serve others. Sacrifice for, for the world. Give your life. And then in the end, the payoff is later. The payoff is, is like, like with Jesus. It's one day. It's, it's well done, my good and faithful servant. When God says that to us. It's, you're my beloved child, I'm well pleased. It's, it's, it's one day, it's laying up treasures in heaven. Do, let's follow Jesus. He modeled this for us. Paul was simply highlighting, in these verses, Paul was highlighting something that Jesus already made clear. And that is that there's a difference between having riches and being rich. A lot of folks can have riches, but we're not rich. We're holding on. Dear life, we're worried. Who's going to take? i got to be king of the mountain. Who's going to knock me off the mountain? I mean, that's, that's not rich. But those of us who have less than some but more than most of the world can choose to be rich by being rich in good works, generous to others, and ready to share with others, and generous to those in need. I want to be rich. Be grateful that I realize I have what I have by God's grace and, and feel I have enough to give. As long as I don't feel I have enough to give, I'm not rich. If I don't have enough to share, I don't, I'm not rich. But if I realize that God gave it all to me and I can share, I'm rich. So I want to wrap up our time for a few minutes by talking about our Be Rich campaign. Every year we do a campaign at a Lighthouse Church. It's an annual thing. It's called Be Rich. We've done it for some time now, for a few years. Give, serve, love. It's something we do to, to do something outside of our church walls to give to others. And, and usually every single year, we don't do anything with Be Rich for inside our church. We just don't do that. We're making a little bit of an exception this, this year, one time only, and I'll explain that momentarily. But it's always two or three or four causes outside of our church that we raise money for. We're not the world's largest church, but we can be generous together. And so we would find a couple causes. And this year we have two things that we're, we're aiming for, and a little different this year, and I'll explain that again. The first thing is a typical thing we always do. It's an outside cause. It's called Mommy's Haven. Mommy's Haven is a group in Lowell, Indiana. It's a Christian-based organization that um, I think is, is phenomenal. They, they help single, young single moms who got to get started in life and are in, you know, over their heads. They help them with, by providing housing for them for a season of life. They help them get their affairs and their paperwork in order. They help them get you know, food they need. They help them find jobs and careers to take care of their young family. And they help them with childcare in the meantime. They just do a whole thing. It's Mommy's Haven. It's a phenomenal program. Last year, our food venture was given a bunch of extra stuff for babies and children, and we didn't need all of it, so we actually called Mommy's Haven and gave them some supplies. And they were so grateful because they could use the help. We want to help Mommy's Haven. We love what they do. By the way, we love what they do because they're helping young moms who, who kept their babies. You know, I know a lot of Christians running around who we consider ourselves to be, you know, pro-life, sanctity of life people, you know, and it's a big deal. But all we mean is usually while a child's in the womb, once the child's born, then they're like, okay, now... I kept the baby like you wanted me to. Can you help me? We're like, well, you shouldn't have gotten pregnant in the first place. Like that. Our pro-life stops right there, you know. And if we want people to have children and, 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 and bring them into this crazy world, what are we going to do as Christians to be the first people in line to help? 
And these, this organization helps single moms by just saying, let me get you started. Let's, let's take you and let's get you. Because some of them came from bad homes. That's why they got in the, me, in the mess in the first place. Bad home situations. Or they came from, um, you know, they get in, in a bad relationship and the guy's either gone or should be gone and abusive or he's just left. And they say, let's help you. You've, you've got this new life. Let's help you figure out how to go forward and let's, let's, let's set you up. This is an awesome opportunity to help. We want to we give $1,000 at least to Mommy Saving this year. That's, that's something we want to do. That's, not even a, that's just something to, to give them a little boost. On top of that, we want to also do something this year, a little unique for us for this year, but we're doing this year only. We want to do something for our food pantry. Now, I'm going to talk about this in just a minute here, what we want to do. But normally we don't include an in-house. We have a lot of in-house ministries we do for the community. We do blood drive. We do food pantry. We're involved in our schools. We try to do a lot of stuff. But we, don't, we, we talk about that stuff all the time. Every month our food pantry is mentioned as being coming up every month. Our, our blood drive is mentioned every eight weeks. We, we do this stuff all the time. And we believe in all of what we do. But, so we don't, this is not a special cause. Be Rich is not about our regular church stuff. The reason we don't normally give to our in-church ministries during Be Rich normally, we're making an exception here. The reason we don't normally do this is because it's the same reason why you at home should not do your giving for yourself. Like if you, let's, let's, let's pretend for a minute here, okay? At home in your personal life, you say, I want to be a generous person. I want to set money aside to give to others. And then as you set that money aside to give to others, you're like, hey, here's this money for others. You know what? What about me? I need new socks, and the wife needs new pots and pans, and the kids need um, some better Christmas presents. Charity starts at home. Well, here's the problem with that. That's not wrong. I mean, it's not wrong to get new socks and new pots and pans and new better Christmas presents, okay? But there will always be things that you can do for yourself and for your family at home. That's, that's an endless thing that you'll never stop chasing as long as you live. And if you'll always justify your giving as giving there, you'll never give outside your walls because there's always needs in the house. Does that make sense? You have to intentionally say, we'll figure out our stuff ourselves, but this is for outside of us. And as a church, if we sit there and say, well, we're going to give to our own special needs, our own special projects, we'll never give outside of our walls because there's always things needed. There's always needs in here. There's always needs. So what we do is we make it a point to say our giving for Be Rich is for not for our programs. We'll always have to figure that out. This is for something outside of our walls, and if we don't do it intentionally, it'll be not done at all. So that's why this is our exception to the rule. This year, I wanted to make that clear, but we want to do something this one, one year and be rich for our food pantry. Now, here's what's going to happen. Two things. First of all, um, our food pantry normally uh, stocks and gives out bags of non-perishables. That's wonderful. But they try to give out something special at Christmas and Thanksgiving for meat. And one of the things that they like to do in the past is give out Christmas hams or other meats. Um, actually, we wanted to help them out. Now, I was told this week that, the Christ that hams are very expensive right now. Everything's very expensive right now, by the way. Um, very expensive right now. It might be easier to, to just give Christmas turkeys or turkey and chicken. And that's fine. But I'd like to raise enough money to where if we want to do hams, we can just come on. We can, we can do hams, you know. Just to do it. I mean, we can, we can get enough money, we can do the hams, you know. But if we can't, then at least, at least do the turkey. But something, we want to make the Christmas meats to go in the bag so that we're not just giving non-perishables out, but at Christmas when there's extra burdens, we can give the people who come to us more. This last food pantry a couple weeks ago, we had 57 families coming through our food pantry for help. 11 first-time families. The holidays bring more on. There's a lot of need out there. So we want to be able to help them. And so, and, and, and look, it's growing, but it's always going to grow. If we keep doing what we're doing, it's going to grow next year. This is an endless need. We, and, and, we, and while Be Rich is normally for outside of our walls, this one time we wanted to say, let's do Mommy's Haven and let's get some extra boost to the food pantry. Two ways. One is the meats for Christmas for the people who come to the food pantry in December. We meet once a month. Our December pantry day, we want to give them all, beyond the non-perishables, some meat, some hams or something. Second of all, we're about to get slammed with donations. This is what happens in our, in our community. Because we're very involved in our community, we're very involved in our schools, and our church is for Cedar Lake, and we have a reputation for being for Cedar Lake, outside organizations have been giving to us lately. They've been doing drives for our church because they partner with us. It's amazing. Our schools have, we have three different school programs right now. We have three different school programs right now raising money like, I, I thought we had two. I found a third one this week. Three school programs right now raising different money, raising canned goods and stuff to give to our church. That's the schools. We had one in the spring. The middle school did that in the spring. 
We have three more going on right now. And Ben Quartercrex and Summer's Heating and Air Conditioning usually have a pretty big drive this time of year, too. They're gonna, we're about to get slammed. We got slammed two years ago. We got slammed more last year. We're going to get slammed even more this year with donations. And that's a good thing because we get a lot. But it's always in December. It's at the end of the year. And the, the, the good news is we have a lot. It's like when my kids get new groceries in the house. We're like, woo, extra food. And we start eating them real fast before the next cycle's over. Like, now we're down to the bare pickings, you know. I mean, it's going to be good for a little while here. But usually we won't get that kind of influx back in until next year. But when it comes crashing in in January or in December, when, the, when we get our donations coming in, guess what's going to happen? They're going to be all over the floor in every spare room we can find to put them in. And so because this is a growing ministry, we wanted to do something special. We wanted to add shelving to some of the rooms we try to use for our food pantry, some nice quality, durable shelving that we can put it together so it's not stacked on the floor in a spare side room somewhere. We can put our stuff in and take care of our pantry better with good equipment. So, so this is what we're trying to do this year. This is kind of an unusual Be Rich campaign, but this is all for, it's ultimately all for others one way or the other because whether it's for outside organizations or whether it's for us to help needy families this year through our food pantry. So how can you help? Before I give you an amount, our total amount as a church, we want to raise at least $2,000. We can do that. $2,000 is very doable. And if we go beyond that, we'll help both groups even more. But I wanted to set the market at 2000 We can do that. Now, here's the deal about, the, about, the, about the, this idea. It has to come in order of priority. Let me explain what I mean by priority. If you regularly give to your church, thank you for giving your regular giving because your regular giving is what allows us to keep our lights turned on and pay our bills. Please don't take from your regular giving to give to be rich. All that you do when you do that is you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's a weird expression, by the way. But anyhow, but don't do that. That doesn't help anybody. Because all that we're doing is basically our NIPSCO bill ends up paying for Be Rich is what's happening. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you realize how much it's expensive around here? We just, we've been patching this old roof together sometime, fixing leaks as they come, and one piece of time patching bigger parts of our roof. We just spent this week, yesterday, we wrote a, over an $8,000 check for another big chunk of our roof to get refixed. We're just patching some spots and fixing bigger spots, $8,000 at a time as we can go. It just disappears. It comes and disappears. I mean, so please don't rob Peter to pay Paul. If you, you're regular giving, this is something beyond that. Okay, so, so that's the priority. You do your regular giving, but beyond that, can you give to the, the Be Rich campaign? Second of all, we're going to do Mommy's Haven first because we want to help our internal needs. They're important, but we're doing something for ourselves in half of our drive this year, which is unusual, but we're going to take care of outsider walls first. And then we're going to take care of our, our meats second, the meats for the food pantry second. And then the third and final thing is if we have enough money, we're going to do all the shelving to make it real nice. And I think we can do all of that and more, but that's the priority list that we're going to do. So here's what we're going to ask you to do. Help us out. And here's the good news. We're asking everyone for a set amount, and the amount has not increased, increased this year nor did it increase the year before. It's the same request we've asked for the last several years of the low gift of $39.95. You say, why that number? Well, first of all, because you're used to that on, as seen on TV commercials, right? But besides that, that's a low number. We've been asking for $39.95 a month for, for uh, I'm sorry, a one-time gift of that money for Be Rich for years now. Inflation has been killing us. We should be at least asking for $49 or $59.95 at this point, right? But here's why we're asking for this number still. Because, because what we want more than anything is we want 100% participation. And if the number gets real high, everyone can't do it. But everyone can do this. We live in America. We can do this. We have to cut out some other luxuries or trust God for some extra things we like to eat or do in our life. We can sell a few things on eBay or sell a kidney or sell a kid. I don't know. Something I don't, don't, don't do that. But anyhow, but no, we can, we can do this. This can be an all skate. All of us can have 100% participation. We can at that price. Now, I say that knowing that for some of us, that's not even a scratch, that's, that's easy. And we shouldn't let that be a hardship to the poorest of us and others of us just saying, that's my low bar also. For some of us, we could do much more. Some of us could do $39.95 per person in our family, per person in our household. And some of us could do hundreds of dollars. For some of us, hundreds of dollars, a couple hundred dollars would be, bit, be easier for us than $39.95 would be for somebody else. So I'm asking for all of us to do this, and some of us, if we have the means, and God's blessed us, and we're, we can do more to do more, and if we all do this and some do more, we can reach our goal this year. Now, we need to do it by the end of the month, 
the end of November, November 30th is a Tuesday. It's called Giving Tuesday. I got to ask you a question. How many of you have heard of Giving Tuesday before in culture? Do you know what that is? Anybody? That's, a, that's a surprising that people don't know. That's an annual thing. The world does it. It's, it's a common thing because it's Black Friday and then it's Cyber Monday. And it's, as we enter the season, people do Giving Tuesday. So that's a kind of a global idea. But our church, we want to raise our Be Rich money by, by Giving Tuesday. So if you're giving in person, here's how you can do it. On the back table, there's envelopes with pens there. You can grab an envelope. And if you're going to give to Be Rich, don't just put the money in the bag. What goes in the box goes to our regular giving. Please do your regular giving. But if you're giving above and beyond that to Be Rich, take an envelope and write Be Rich on there and put that money in that envelope so we'll know where to put it. Or if you're using a check, put it in the memo section. If you want to give online because you're an online person and you want to help the church that you attend digitally or whether you give in per online even though you attend in person. If you're an online giver, go to our website, lighthousecedarlake.com. There's a Be Rich tab. Don't do your regular giving at that tab. There's a regular giving tab for that. But your Be Rich money can go through that tab and the money that is given through that portal all goes to Be Rich. And if we can do this by the end of this month, we can meet these needs this holiday season and not just do it for ourselves. And I want to do this, and I want to do much more than this in years to come, but this is our goal for this year, and I want us to blow it out of the water. Because as Paul said to Timothy, tell those people who are rich in this world, that's us, to, to be rich, to be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And I understand something that you understand as Americans who have so much not as much as our neighbor, perhaps, or somebody else we know, or maybe most people we know. But in a very large global population of billions of people, we're very well off. And we all understand what Paul was saying and what Jesus was saying, that there's a difference between having riches and being rich. We can have riches and not feel rich because someone has more. We can have riches and not feel rich because we're trying to hold on to it. We have riches and not feel what because we can't spare any. But we can be rich when we realize that God has given us what we have and we can share with others. And I want to be rich. Be grateful, be generous, and be rich. And so this year, would you participate with us? Do you have faith in God? Faith in Christ for your salvation? But that's not just faith in Christ for salvation. Would you take up, would you give up your own way? Would you take up your cross and follow him? He gave us an example of what to do. To lay aside our privilege to sacrifice, to serve, and to give our life for others. Let's follow Jesus and let's be rich this holiday season.